When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today we have kind of a special episode. The latest Rolling Stone cover story is on the Rolling Stones, band you may have heard of. Um, I wrote it, and I spent some time with Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and and Ron Wood. We're going to play a little bit of my Mick Jagger and Keith Richards interviews today. Let's start with a bit of the conversation I had with Mick. Uh, about the Stones' new album, Blue and Lonesome, which is a blues covers album. And he explained that although it sort of started spontaneously in the studio, they broke into a cover of the song Blue and Lonesome by Little Walter. Uh, Mick actually had talked to producer Don Was about the idea of doing a blues album. Here's what he had to say. The thing was that it was funny because I'd been speaking to Don Was about doing a blues album. Oh, that I did not know. Okay. Already. And what my idea of doing it was that it was going to be really relaxed because we do these blues tunes in rehearsal. So we go into rehearsal and before we'd actually get down to saying, okay, let's do, you can't get what you want, you know, which we knew already, but we still got to do it. Uh, we would play blues tunes and we played Commit a Crime, for instance. Mm. And we had played Blue and Lonesome. And I said, well, we keep playing these tunes maybe we should just like record the rehearsals a bit better yeah and then there's no pressure you know there's absolutely no pressure to do like okay this is the take of Blue and Lonesome it was like just do it and and then over the period of two weeks or you know that we have in rehearsals we'll have a whole bunch of bulletins and if we do two rehearsals then we'll have another whole bunch of blues tunes and like that we'll have a blues album so I actually mentioned that to him very recently because we were doing well we'd always done blues blues tunes in the rehearsals you know but we've been doing a few more and we've just been like doing anyways so then whatever so then we we did it in similar sort of thing it's like uh, going to a blues tune uh, to kind of like get into shape kind of thing so so in the middle of doing a new song so well let's just leave that aside for a moment and then we'll do Blue and Lonesome which is what we did first and then and we said oh, that sounds really good let's do another one we did another one and then we did another one and then Don Moore said to me well can you go home tonight yeah. and make a list of what we're going to do blues if we're going to do more blues do some more you better make a list because we you know he said you have a blues iPod one with just blues songs on it or something that's not right <laughs> I don't. So he believes, yes. No, I just went into my computer and went into the blues songs I had in there, which, you know, whatever. So actually, I mean, I was thinking it was the most enormous library. When I was thinking, this is actually rather shabby, you know, it should be better. But anyway, um, um, and I went in and made made a a list of what I thought, you know, we'd do that day and, and wrote it down and went into the studio and I just shouted out oh let's do this and if people said yes then we did it and if people said oh, no, not about that one I said okay then this one because I had enough you know that you, you know, want to insist just call the tunes and 
see if people pick up on them. Uh, it gave you a chance to play like probably the most like blues harp that you've got to play in. Go on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I should have practiced. If I'd have known, <laughs> if I'd have known I was going to have to do this, I would have been. I would have been a few days practicing because sometimes I do that, and, and you know, I said that at home and play it's quite easy really I mean, you just put on whatever a whole bunch of money water record the only problem with harmonica playing is the keys yeah of you course know, you need the you get that yeah. <laughs> you have like you have to have all the keys and you have to know because otherwise it's really boring trying to sort through so you have to write down over the, this muddy waters tune is in you know C so then I'm not going to have to look every time for this key so so you do that like an album you know you get like one of those muddy Mississippi waters I think we've got Johnny Winter on it you know so I sometimes I like playing harmonica along so I play harmonica along with that and it's good practice you know and you get your chops together and do that a couple of hours a day for a few days and you, you get at least into kind of some sort of practice right. but I, I had I mean, should do a bit more than that to be honest but it's not the only thing I do and so when I was like thrown into the deep end of being like on like almost every other tune is like okay and then it's all right but um you know you hope it's going to work and then then you've got these things which have harmonica intros that go you know you got to get that right because you can't screw it up you know because it's you know i mean it's like having doing intro on a guitar but it's if it's not an instrument you play a lot then you know i'm more familiar playing guitar than i'm playing harmonica you know to be honest yeah now yeah for, uh, for a long time so so um, I mean I like playing I like playing but anyway the thing is that the, the really uh, good thing about those well yeah you get to play over a certain you know you get to keep playing it so you know you get to do it so more than just like a overdub solo let's yeah. say so so then um, uh, the the when the way we'd set it up was like we got you you the thing is, for me, I'm sure for nearly for all, all players on all instruments, it's the same. But for for harmonica, is to get the the sound that I want to hear on the headphones. You know, right. it's all about that because it's not really about acoustic playing harmonica. It's about um, putting the harmonica through, you know, amps and yeah. you know, and, and echo effects and overdrive compression and everything. And that's why I always say to these people, say, "Oh, it's just an amp. You just like knock it off." Hey. But you, 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 it's true you do. Yeah. But you, there's a lot you have to make this harmonica sound right. So, so then, then you really hear it. So, what's different about it to me, the sound as a harmonica player, just as a harmonica player, is that I can, uh, I got used to hearing all the nuances of it, because when you play on stage harmonica, you can't hear almost anything because it's a right. rock rock band. It's like, and if, in a blues band, that blues bands normally play really quiet. So. The harmonica you can play through, uh, you know, when I go and see Sunset's blues bands, they're so quiet. So the harmonica can play through amp. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feed back. Yeah. And you can get all these effects and you can hear perfectly what you're doing. But with a rock band, you know, they're not used to playing like that. So, but in the studio, of course, it doesn't matter. So I can play through the thing and the band's not as loud as it might be on stage. So, so then I can hear all the nuances in the harmonica playing. So... And the bending and where the notes are going, because um, you know you don't normally hear that on stage. So I could get into you know how it really sounds and everything. And so, so harmonica is an instrument you 
you, you, you're not looking at the, the keys like you're on a piano or on the fretboard right. of a guitar. You, you're, you, it's all like in your feel. So, so you really have to hear it uh, a lot, especially if you don't play very much. So you have to really hear it perfectly to know if you're going to hit the right notes, especially on the bends, because it's all about the bends to get some of the notes, because there's not that many notes. So you have to bend them to get the notes in. So, so I was hearing it really good. So for me, that was a big plus, being able to play it. I'm sorry, that was a bit of a technical explanation. Yeah, no, no, well, I, I play enough blues harp that I... But okay, I didn't I, know that. No, you should have told me. Yeah, no, 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 I, you know. <laughs> you should have told me. I was like explaining to someone that doesn't understand anything about it, saying, oh, we can't see the notes. What do you mean you can't see the notes? <laughs> well, I guess you can't see the notes. Well, it's got me listening to Little Walter again. It's like, I mean, you know, covering his songs is like a guitar playing covering, you know... Jimi Hendrix or something. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I said that to someone else. Yeah. It's like, it's... That's, yeah, I mean, it is, you know, and there's these... You know, there's a lot of technically able people out there now, as, as we know, that maybe you could say, well, this guy's actually technically better than Little Walter, you know, technically. You know, so this guy plays technically better than, than Charlie Parker. But, but the, the point is that, that you will know he's great and he invented this sort of style, you know, which... And, and, it's, and, sound and, and a sound and a style and a kind of attitude and whatever it is. And, you know, and actually some of the, some of the licks are really hard to do, but... There's there's also a kind of um um how do you say that 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 he doesn't overplay you know so it's, it, it, he's very he doesn't like he kind of leaves a lot of space and I kind of really start noticing that like, well I would play normally I would play da 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 actually probably should it sounds good now that I now I'm playing blues like three blues in a row now I'm getting to the hang of this thing <laughs> that I don't have to play so much you know and um because I'm confident this isn't my only solo <laughs> yeah, you're right right <laughs> yeah, sure. so I don't have to play you know, I don't, like this is it for the whole album this is going to be only one bit and um but as you say like trying to play Walter yeah well I'm not I'm obviously can't do it but I can give a good you know, go at giving a feeling of little water yeah. or the, or, or, or that some of the attitude, I hope I can com- convey some of the attitude of that. So, I mean, it's not, so if you were already talking to Don about this, this was less of a, perhaps an accident than it. I think yeah, in a way yeah, this yeah. fortuitous, I mean, you could, yeah. you can tell it as it's like all just suddenly happened, but I think, I think it was all kind of waiting to happen at a certain moment and then the moment came, you know, so that was all good. Well, it's like the old Picasso joke, it took you 50 years to be able to make this album in three days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 and that's a sum of it. It's, it's a sum of experience, you know, and all these songs, I mean, um, I mean I, I, I'm not sure if er, everyone knew all these songs, it's not true. But Ronnie said, well, I never heard that one. I'm, I'm not really familiar with that one. I can't remember which one he's talking about. Hoodoo Man Blues, for instance. I don't think Ronnie was terribly familiar with that, for instance. But I still, whatever it is, it is. But but most of them were were, were stuff uh, that we played since we were teenagers, you know, yeah. to be honest. Incredible. I mean, and they're not the most well-known ones, but they're all on those famous albums, aren't they? You know, So it's not like My Babe by Little Walter, obviously. But... But nevertheless, you still know those. But maybe the stuff, that fast one got to go is a bit unfamiliar. But I remember yeah. playing that in a rehearsal, like not playing it live, but I played the Little Walter record, I say, because it's a bit, uh, 
that's a little bit unknown, that one, out of the catalogue, so to speak. And I'm not sure if anyone had heard it. And I said, I wanted to play it for Charlie because I said, Charlie, what is the guy playing on the drums on this? I don't yeah. get it. Yeah. And, he, and when we did it, we didn't try and copy the drum part because something he plays on the toms or something. But, but so Charlie just played this sort of straight beat. But I remember playing that in a rehearsal somewhere in America, in a, you know, really loud on the stereo. So why, after all this time, did you want to make a blues album? Like, well, I didn't. You, I didn't want to make a well, blues except album. Well, except that you were talking about it with Don. I was. I was. And then yeah. then I thought, okay, so this is a really natural yeah. thing. This is like an extension of, you know, we've been playing blues obviously all our lives, and now and now we're going to actually do see how this is going to work. And it didn't sound really good at the beginning. Yeah. You know, when we played like Blue Notes and I can't, I wish I could remember the sequence of the, what we did. But yeah, Dan, Dan didn't remember either. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's all on the, it's all on files because it's, it's all right. the dates on the files. But I wish I should have asked the engineer what, what because I remember we did Blue Notes, but I can't remember when we're next. Yeah. Um, and I might even have it on a list somewhere on my iPad. Maybe I wrote it on paper. But anyway, so yeah, we did that and we did two, three. What was your question? I can't remember, sorry. Uh, just the, the, the why, why not? Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know <laughs> the answer why. I guess we were playing, we liked the, playing the first one and we just sort of right. followed a pattern and, and it, it, came, it was really quick. And what yeah. was good about it was that, that, you know, doing new songs, you never quite know, you, you can do them any way, any beat, uh, you know that you've got an idea we can go any which way or a complete song again whereas these it's you, you kind of the good thing is you've got three done and you, there's a sense of you know of um, you know achievement in the, the fact that you've done oh I've done three songs and tomorrow I'm going to do three more and tomorrow I'm going to do three more you know so it's like a you know that's that that feels really good I think mm-hmm. And you can factor it. So Don made it sound like there was some. I spoke to him a couple of days ago. Yeah. Some, it made it sound like there was some dispute over whether you guys actually wanted to put this out. That it was a process. Of no, it wasn't a real dispute between the band or anything. The, the only thing I, I said to the record, I, I said to the record company, which is, let's face it, they're not like blues people. I mean, they're very nice people, and some of them I know really well. But do you want some? Sure. Um, be careful. <laughs> um, Thank you. That that what yeah, we made this blues album, but what do we do with it? Because we're in the middle of making a new album. So, is it possible you can market this? Is it marketable? You right. know, or would you like to put it? My only my, that was my question. Was it marketable as a separate album, or would you like to wait till the the, the new album's finished and put it out with the right with? So you've got one. You know, whatever you've got, like twelve new things, and you've got twelve blues things, which is kind of a nice package. I mean, you know, you've got a lot of stuff suddenly. Poof, you know what I mean? That would have been interesting. And I said, but mate, you think about that. You're you're the ones that are going to market it. Which, which way would you want to go? And I said, because I'm I'm interested to see how you could possibly market this right. blues album. Come on, yeah. which traditionally <laughs> is going to not interest anyone. It's very niche. I mean, there's nothing wrong with. I mean, we're not. It's not trying to like say we won't make any money. But you, but who's going to hear it? Who's ever going to? You know, is it is it ever, anyone going to go on Spotify and play this blues album? You know what I'm saying? So it's going to get like no one's going to listen to it. So that, that to me is part of it. You know, you want to make a record, but you want people to hear it, don't you? Of course, of course. You, yeah. yeah, it's not supposed yeah. to be just for your family. So, <laughs> so you know, so that's nice, Dad. Uh, but. 
But so that's what my question was to them. Yeah. You know. So that was the issue. Yeah. So you always wanted. No, it's just I, I, yeah. it's in a way of me. Okay, how are you going to market it? Sure. And, yeah. and and are you going to do a good job? Is always my question. That's the artist's question. It has to be. So like you know, there, there's a certain after a ten year gap between albums. I think some people. Yeah, you know, I didn't really think about yeah, that. Yeah. I think some people. I mean, frankly, some people are like, oh, they're never finishing that album. <laughs> the other one. I mean, I've kind of got that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we haven't even tried to make one, so we haven't right. been doing it very long. Right. But yeah, I mean, probably the record company said, well, the other one's never going to come. We must have put this one out. I don't blame them. I, I probably would have done the same thing because I've got now. I've got something. You know, might as well put it out. Uh, that was me talking with Mick Jagger, including the sound of uh, Mick Jagger pouring me a glass of water. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more from Mick Jagger from the latest Rolling Stone cover story. We're playing some audio from uh, my new cover story for Rolling Stone, which is on the Rolling Stones. And you can uh, check out that cover story online at rollingstone.com or at newsstands in our print magazine. And so this next segment is, I started by asking Mick Jagger about Desert Trip, which he had just played with the Stones. Here we go. What did you take away from Desert Trip and being among the your generation and all that? Dust. <laughs> Fucking fucked my voice up for a week. I mean, it was like... Oh, was that what it was? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, not only me. I mean, some of the audience... I went to my doctor in LA. He said, I've had like, I've had like 20 people in here who've lost their voices. Or they're just, they're punters. I mean, I'm not, you know, it must have, I must have had something wrong with me, but, but um, I got over it now, but, uh, but apart from that, um, it was, it's, I mean, it was a kind of weird. I mean, it's just weird out in Palm Springs, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a weird place. It's yeah. like super dry. So it's the worst place to sing in the right, world because right, right. it's dusty and dry. I mean, right. and everyone knows that. And, and, you know, I tried to get around that, but I don't, uh, yeah, man. You have to sing wherever you wherever you booked. You know, if you agree to go. But I mean, I think the audience had a great time. I mean, I never got really a lot of feedback from the audience. I mean, I've never looked at a lot of postings. What did they like? It was very large, and it went on and on and on. And the stage was kind of bare, but it looks and this video looks really big from where you are. But I mean, it doesn't look very big from. I'm not sure if they have video screens all the way back. And you went there, right? Yeah, I was not, but, but from, I've watched some YouTube's, and yeah, it seems it's, yeah, the, the video screens were so huge that I think it, it, it worked. I hope they could see. You yeah. know, it, it was like, but you know, because my thing in doing these uh, festivals is that the normally, you know, you get a bowl so it's good you know Gastonbury it's up up you know right. it's up on a hill so if you've that many people which, you know Gastonbury can be you know it can be 18 plus but maybe it goes up on a hill so you kind of have the idea that you're there you know you've got some height but when it's just flat I really worry about how much the people can see that's not I mean, and for the performer, I can't see them it's just right. a it's just a flat thing and I can see how far can I see it's just people right. and you kind of as a performer you're kind of like you don't really know if you're communicating with them or not you, you, it, it, it's 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 easy to play in stadium and it's like this you know you can get 80,000 in a bowl I played many many of them yeah. but you get the feeling I can see those people right. I know they're a long right. way away right. and I know I'm like an ant right. but but not this yeah I understand I can see them waving yeah. however far they are away I'm I know and if I say everyone at the top wave and they wave yeah. I can see them right. I'm not criticising the gig I'm sure people are no, I understand, yeah. but, but just I, I have no idea if 
if I'm communicating with people, yeah. you know, and and um, and so anyway, that was my kind of feeling on the stage. Um, you had that line about uh, n- never, uh, never shared a stage with a Nobel Prize winner before. <laughs> it is incredible. I mean, what, what do you make of that? I mean, like, it's quite controversial too. It, it, was controversial. it had been mooted before, though, uh, yeah, many it times. Had, it wasn't the first time that I ever yeah. thought about. Yeah. And I'd read, I'd read. Uh, about you know, would they give Bob Dylan the you know and and um, the Nobel Prize for Literature? And, and th- there'd been a lot of discussion about whether it'd be right or not. I mean, endlessly, right. and um, and a lot of literary people thought it was perfectly good. I mean, Salman Rushdie, who I know quite well, I, th- I, I you know I think he talked about it before. Yes, yeah. I, I think he was a, a a sponsor, if you what not not in, a, in any kind of official sense, but so he's pushing for it. Yeah, but he's like putting it out there that he thinks it's a good idea and and, and um, yeah I, th- I think I mean I think it's wonderful yeah so I think I think the way Jan sees and I totally understand this is sort of a it's shared by the whole sort of ethos of uh, everyone you know. yeah <laughs> I mean it doesn't mean that every bad songwriter is going to get <laughs> Stand- wait a minute where's my fucking I mean, come on the moon in June that was great my lines one but I mean, he's worked, you know, he's got a huge body of work and a lot of it's brilliant, you know, and um, he's still going and, and um, you know, we, it's some of the best poetry that people know, if you know what I mean. Right. Because it's, it's, it's out there and, and it, it, in various forms and people know it in their hearts. And, and yeah, so I think it's very um, wonderful on that level and deserved. You ever think about whether people will be 50 years from now, 100 years from now, there might be people listening to the Stones, do you, you assume so? No. <laughs> to people listen to musical songs from the 1910s. You know, there's always one or two that dig them up. You don't care, do you? Know. Well, how can I? What's the point? What's the point? It's like pop music for posterity. It's like a kind of oxymoron. Mm. You know, pop music is pop music is 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 for now. Yeah. You know? Pop music. That's why you've made now last at all. Fucking well, yeah, but that's that, that's good. <laughs> that, I can claim that. Yeah. That that's great. That's why I was worrying about the blues album. Right. It, it, it. You know what I'm saying? So pop music. It, it, I know it's not really pop music, but when those blues records came out, they were in a in a sense for that group, for, for that for that audience, they were pop music as if it was pop music. They would sing it, they would play it as if it was our like we would play Kendrick Lamar. It was for them that. So it's all pop music to me. It's all pop music without take away all the genres sure. for a minute, and, and, and it's all pop music. So. So that's what I'm saying to the record company. Can you make this pop music? If right. if, if you want, is what I'm saying because right. it 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 it's not per se at the moment pop music. It was once pop music. Sure. And um, as we said, Little Red Rooster was number one. You know, I mean that was a weirdo thing because we could have done anything at that point would have been number <laughs> one. That that was the point. Right. But but um. But so, you know, I'm saying for a minute, you know, is it going to expand just a few people buy it that will buy, you know, a blues record, you know, that would be pleased or is it going to be further? And I don't know how we started this conversation. Uh, but anyway, but pop music is very transient. So, right. we know, we're not making it for posterity. 
if some of the, of these songs of of no, whoever Bob Dylan or like Rolling Stone or last for a long time, then that's great. But but that's not why I'm writing it. It might be like Bob Dylan may have thought of this more than I. I suspect he thinks of it more than I do. Yeah. Well, then again, he hasn't gotten back to the committee, so I'm not sure what he's thinking. Well, but it's not very communicative. <laughs> I guess Roger Daltrey came away from Desert Trip in a pensive mood and said that he thinks that rock and roll is not based on the festival, but just in general has hit a dead end and that, that it's kind of... Well, people have been saying that for years. Yeah. And I did read his quote on that one. I don't know why he's... I mean, he's... It, I like Roger very much and, you know, he's a great guy and, and he's done a lot of wonderful things. But, I mean, I don't know why he suddenly will come out with that because that's pretty obvious... I mean, that's an old group. And this, this is why I said to the promoter, you know, I, you know, when he came to see me, I, he's a very nice guy. And, and he said, this is my idea for the, for the show. And I said, you've got a lot of old, over 70 white English people playing all the same music. I mean, that's, I said, to me, that's not like a festival. Mm. You, you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. Because to me, a festival is, I want to hear something I don't, that I've never heard of, you know, yeah. so some kind of music that, wow, I've never heard this. Uh, rap from you know Mali I never heard them play it like you know whatever but you know I want to discover something and and, and have a good time but but no that wasn't obviously the, the, the point of this the right. point of this was to put this, this these kind of legendary acts all in one weekend that was the point but it so happens they all happen to be nearly all English only one American <laughs> Neil Young's Canadian. <laughs> so, so. I mean, dude, it does seem. I mean, you know, that, that there's, you know, and there's no reason you, you don't know the answer. But I'm just curious what you think of the answer. Is, is uh, you know, since Nirvana, I think people have been waiting for, oh, what's the next thing with guitars that's going to change the world? And it really doesn't happen. It may, and maybe there. No, be, no, you never know. I mean, were Nirvana that different? I mean, were they a different band? I mean, were they a different rock band or just a good rock band? I mean, there's, I mean, Kings of Leon new record was number one for a couple of weeks on iTunes. I mean, you know, it's just a success. Yeah, sure. You know, it's not nothing. I mean, the, um, I mean, if you think about it from a commercial point of view, you know, you need that song that's going to be, that people are going to like, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's one on the, um, there's one on the Kings of Leon album, which is really catchy, you know, whether people, whether, you know, that's, a pop song. It is a pop song, but but um, I'm not sure if it's like the right mix of the pop song. Yeah, for 2016. Pop you know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah, I know exactly. It's still a perfectly good yeah. pop song if you give it to someone to make into one. <laughs> I think. Anyway, yeah. but that's sort of you know that that's something else. But I mean, it was number one for a couple of weeks, and I think Kings Lang are, are really great at people and and and. Uh, it's a pretty genuine rock band and it's and it's popular I mean so I, for me I don't think rock music is dead I mean I take Roger's point it's not it's not rock music's not at the cutting edge of pop anymore certainly not yeah now we're going to hear from Keith Richards um, about the new blues album, Blue and Lonesome, and some other topics. Here's Keith Richards. You said Muddy was like a father to you uh, at yeah. some point. I mean, what was, I mean, what kind of conversations did you have over the years? What kind of 
Even though it was just like he took you under the yeah. wing. No, I mean, no deep conversations. Conversations, sit down with the guitar together, and I try and play him my version of his stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and, or, or just, as I always wanted to be, second guitar, second stringer. Yeah, I in my when I was a kid, I was in the second guitar behind Chuck Berry, right, or behind Elvis. Yeah, if I'd have joined the crickets, I would have joined. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to like be. I mean, I wanted to be just part of it. Yeah, and uh, and Muddy made you felt you're really part of it. You know, he sort of uh, brought you in. Great, I mean, large heart, you know. Um, not the only one. Howlin' Wolf is very much the same. I mean, a giant of a man, a most uh, you know, formidable creature, to actually <laughs> face. Yeah. They sit around and talk with him, and they say, oh, man, look, oh, you know that, Vic? You know, and you just get into... What you do, you know, and uh, without any side on it. Well, I didn't know white guys could play like that. There's nothing, none of that. Yeah. You know, it was just, oh, you know, we connect. Yeah. And not particularly impressed about what color you happen to turn out to be or whatever. Although, of course, Muddy and other guys did uh, recognize that for some reason, I mean, the Stones had to yeah. America yeah, music that yeah and repopularized it or, or actually not so much popularized it as just brought it to attention yeah again you yeah. know and uh, and for that I'm eternally proud it's probably the only way I'm going to get in heaven <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it must have been quite a thing to be... St- you had these guys whose album covers you were staring at it, and then to step into those album covers... Yeah, it's the nuttiest thing in the world. Yeah. It's like you stepped into a dream, in yeah. a way, you know? Never got out. I never woke up again. <laughs> never, never woke up. <laughs> you said that, you know, you would always say, you know, someday... Years and years ago, you say, "Oh, you know, someday we'll, we'll make a blues album and we'll you know we'll put blues on you know we'll, we'll sit in we'll sit in stools on stage like Muddy Waters and play the blues." Uh, you're not you're not sitting down. No, you might be getting closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's you know, Mick. Mi- you know, I, I, you said as early as 1980, you said, "You know, Mick doesn't have to run around so much. He could just stand at the microphone and, and sing." Uh, but he doesn't. To him. No, the stones requires the running. The stages kept getting bigger and bigger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was in 1980, I said that. You you were still playing every year after that. Actually, throughout the 70s has actually occurred. And also on top of I mean, I've... Mick Jagger could play this coffee table <laughs> better than anybody I know because that was the size of our stages in those days. Right. You know? And he could still move it. And, you know, he, well, he had the thing with the maracas. Yeah. <laughs> 
But, you know what I mean? The man is a natural mover. Yeah. What is more natural for a front man than you give him more room than him to use the room? You know, I've seen the... Especially as athletic as, as Mick is, and, uh, and also you feel the need to reach out. Suddenly it's a football stadium or something even bigger and sometimes, you know, I mean, where you feel the need to get out there and right, so they're not... <laughs> yes, they will. Yeah. yeah. And there's two ways of doing that. I think Bob proved the other way of doing it, actually, at Coachella, where he would bring the stage down to his comfort level, his size. Right. As Bob is not going to start doing the splits yeah. <laughs> and running around. Yeah. But at the same time, to concentrate everybody's thing and act enormous stage there at Coachella. And Bob managed to turn it into his area. And, it, and that's what I mean about performance. Some feel the need to use the room. Others can bring you in on, into their space. Well, could there be a Stones, a version of the Stones when Mick doesn't want to run? Because he was wondering a lot how long he could yeah, I've been thinking about this. Yeah. Someday you ain't going to be able to run. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. But, uh, no, over the years, I, I mean, I've probably been on the push and say, just because you have all that room doesn't mean you have to use it. Uh, you know, uh, but then there's a natural energy in the man, and the man is the one who's got to sing, you know, which is in with this blues record. You know, whatever track is on it, it's because mix it up, oh, that lightning slim on it. it. The singer has got to wanna. Yeah. You know, it's no point in somebody from behind like him saying, "Oh, you should sing this one," and he don't feel like it. He'll do it. But you 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 right. won't get the the essence of it because there'd be an imposition, so as to speak. So if I catch you know a lead man that says I want to do this, I want to do this. this is the one I want to do, which is like Stone set list. You yeah, make write the list, right? The ones you want to sing. You know, I might change the order here and there because of technical things like you know, guitars and the changes and uh, whatever. Very rarely. Uh, to me, the important thing is that you go on there with a guy and says, this is what I want to do tonight. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that energy, that extra confidence is what, to me, counts. Yeah. You... And the, yeah, I mean, you let him, you let his energy got it. But I mean, but you, it feels like if 85 to 89 was World, was world War Three, you've called it between the two of you guys. And then maybe you had World that War Four. That was a pretty rough period. Yeah. And, then, and then, then it seems like you just maybe had World War Four for a while, but before this, before this rapper month. Uh, so, but it, it does feel just from the outside that maybe there really has been a thawing, that maybe the, that you guys are. Getting, getting along better than in a long time. Is that... Uh... Yeah, uh, I don't know how to explain this. Mick and I, I mean, I love the man. 
it doesn't mean I can't get pissed off occasionally. <laughs> and I've no doubt, without a doubt, it's the other way around. Um, but when you're working together, like that, I mean, sometimes you have to forgive and forget. And also, I would say that 89% of the time, we're in total agreement. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I chose that number particular. Um, <laughs> but oh, people only hear about that 11%, uh, you know, is where it uh, flares up, you know. And, uh, but what would the stones be without it? What would... When then did anybody have the perfect machine? Everybody in total agreement. It was. Uh, it'd probably be fairly bland. Right. Uh, no push and pull. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, and so I, you know, I think by now, at least I do. I, mean, I think Mick pretty much says now and again we're going to bitch. Yeah, but. You know, when it does, it's going to hit the headlines. <laughs> that was not the point, you know. It'd be that they're arguing. <laughs> oh, my God, people are walking around with shrouds. <laughs> and it's just another tiff. I know the man longer than actually just about any man I've known. The face of the planet, four or five years old. I don't know many other people that age, our age, that, uh, that I've known, especially worked with, you know, like, in such you know, intense ways and gone through so much, created a career of like, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing we're both alive. I celebrate Nick's life in the... Uh, and he's always he's always five months older than me. <laughs> <laughs> and now I have with me from Rolling Stone, Patrick Doyle and Andy Green, and we are going to be talking uh, a little bit more about the Rolling Stones because what what else is there really to talk about in the world? <laughs> um, so so guys, you know this album, this album Blue and Lonesome that's coming out. It came out of sessions for what is supposed to be the first uh, Rolling Stone original album since two thousand and five. Now, do you guys think that this album, the the original album, is ever going to come out? No. Mm -mm. <laughs> it's been 19 years and a single studio album. They seem incapable of doing it. They, they just, it, it, it's just not going to happen, I think. Yeah. They overthink it, I think, when they, it's their own material. They, they spend way too much time on it. This was a three-day album, and, it, it, and, and it's the best thing they've done in 30 years, so... Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's very good. Do you th you think it is truly the best thing they've done in thirty years? And um, so, tell me, tell me which album thirty years ago you're saying is the best since? I think Dirty Work is a, is a great album. <laughs> Dirty Work. Okay. Um, that's a, I think. No, no. You're supposed to say the best since Some Girls. The official right. line is always the best since Some Girls. Right. Okay, you're saying the the best since Dirty Work. Okay. I'm a big Keith fan, and Dirty Work is basically a Keith album with Mick singing. So that's why I uh -huh. like it. But. I actually really like Bridges to Babylon too. If they were to make an album like that, where 
where it's the complete opposite direction. It's not trying to be commercial exactly, but just trying to do something different, then I'd be interested to hear it. Right. But there's no incentive, really, because the money is all in touring. An album is a huge pain. It's just going to it's just going to sell three copies and be and just be criticized. I, did, I just see no incentive just to work so hard on something. That's just not, that'll be a fight the entire time. Mm-hmm. It's a nice bookend to the end of their career, too. This is just perfect, I think. Yes. <laughs> so you're suggesting they, should, they just walk off? <laughs> no. Very, very they should nice keep pattern. touring. Yeah. I would love to hear a new album. I just think it's very unlikely. Whereas was they are a touring band essentially you know that's what they've mm-hmm. been for a very long time that's the core of what the stones are is a concert experience mm-hmm. i think one of the problems is that um whenever there's a long gap between albums you get into a little bit of chinese democracy syndrome not that they've been working on an album the mm-hmm. way that axel did but you get into that syndrome of oh my god this better be killer you know and and i think that tends to be as we all know from our own creative endeavors <laughs> the longer you wait the more the more it becomes oh my god i have to kill this this is late you know <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, it's a trap yeah and there's a songwriting team that has not really worked together as a true team in a long time that's a problem too i mean yeah they, i mean i think with the bigger bang they got together for two weeks at mix house and wrote songs and um I think that album is, is better than a lot of people say, but I don't see them doing that at, at, at 75 years old. Yeah, it, it it's too bad. I wish they would like release four albums in the next four years. Like mm. just take advantage of their working relationship, right. such as it is, and just put stuff out. And that way, it, do, it takes the pressure off, you know. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. No, and with these box sets, you can just think of all the attention they got for Exile. Uh, on Main Street, that was more attention than a bigger bang got. Mm-hmm. You know, they've so, yeah. they have so much history they can mine that it's just easier. <laughs> so, what did you guys take away from from listening to Blue and Lonesome, the Stones' new uh, blues album? I think it's great. I, I I liked I like hearing. I think Ronnie is a is amazing on this album because he's really kind of stepped up on on tour. You know, as Keith has had problems with arthritis and other things, it's it's. I think he has stepped up and really uh, become an amazing real lead guitar. It's become more of a, a lead rhythm situation as opposed to switching off. I think, and so I think Ronnie is amazing, and Keith is also has this laid back style that's that he didn't have. Um, you know, fifteen even twenty years ago. I, I think that he is is. Um, it's almost like Chuck Berry got later in, in age with where you can hear the struggle to play, but Keith has a certain soul that he brings to it that it's great. Right. It's a very nice reminder also that there's still a band there. Because the concerts with the horns and the keyboards and the backup singers, you know, it feels a bit Vegasy at times where this is just the core band playing and they sound fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, you can really, uh, you can really feel... There's points when you literally, I think you literally can't tell whether it's 2016 or, you know, 1970. I, I really think that. Right. You know, and maybe I'm deluded, but I, I really No, I think you're right. And that. it's a tribute to Mick's incredible voice and Charlie's stamina and skill. I mean, it's incredible. that In their mid-70s, they're still able to pull this off. Yeah, and, and Ron and Keith's weaving, as they call it, they really do play incredibly well together. Yeah, yeah. and Mick's um, harmonica playing, which you touched on in your story, it's just so good on this album. Yeah, we played a lot of uh, Mick talking about harmonica earlier. This is the mm-hmm. most harmonica talk that's ever right. been on Sirius XM, I think. Yeah, um, and it's so perfect that they've gone full circle. This is back to their very, very roots, and it's it's just stellar, I think. 
So, I, you know, one of the things I asked the Stones is, you know, how long can this go on? How long can this go on? You know, it's, it's, they had their 50th anniversary and then they just kept going. I think it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that Mick is a freak of nature and there's no reason why they can't do it like another six, seven years. I just think Charlie's the problem. I know that he's a very light touch, but when he's 81 years old, is he going to want to play two hour concerts? <laughs> and if he leaves, do they carry on? That's always a big question of, like, right. is there and, a band? And of course I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and I asked and, I asked Keith that, and he said that uh, you know I, I Charlie Watts will never die. Uh, yeah. I, I I won't allow it. And then then I add I added or retire, and he's like, yeah, yeah, or retire. So that's <laughs> right. But he but, might do one of those two things, and it'll put him in a very tough spot. But no, no, Andy Keith said he won't allow right. it. I don't understand. <laughs> no, I yes, I know that he has superpowers, but maybe you know he can't stop death or retirement. <laughs> Keith also, by the way, Keith did also tell me that um, I was I confessed. The interview took place, you know, maybe a week before the election, and I confessed that I was getting concerned about the polls and that Trump might win. And, and Keith said, "Oh, don't worry about it; uh, he'll fuck it all up." Uh, which, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, was also not true. And, and yeah. uh, you know, may, maybe he meant, you know, he'll fuck it up after the election. I, I don't know, but uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, as Keith has a habit of saying, he is not a Nostradamus. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Patrick, you were asking me earlier via email what, yeah. what I took away from... Yeah. I, so, well, I was curious, just listening, it was really interesting to hear the audio of it, because well, Mick kind of puts you in a trance almost, and it's a really interesting... He, he, I, I loved hearing him talk, I've never heard him be that kind of open before, because he's notoriously kind of hates doing interviews, and he's pretty shy and closed off, and he... It was really interesting to hear. I was just curious what you kind of. Um, as, I mean, we've listened to the Stones a ton and talk about them at the office all the time. But what do you? What did you take away from spending extended amount of time with both of those guys for the story? Well, yeah. What well, and, and I'm going to wrap up in a second. But I, you know, listen. I, I found the Stones incredibly charming. Those are the other reason why they've been so successful is because they are so deeply, incredibly charming. Um, and I think they're in a, a really great place. And they really do convince you that the Rolling Stones will last forever. So, in this episode, we talked. Uh, we played some audio from Mick, and Mick Jagger and Keith Richards from the new Rolling Stone cover story. And uh, this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. Download our podcast at rollingstone.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week on Friday on Sirius XM. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.